Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Theatre lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, welcome to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theatre's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called The British Invasion, and it is covering shows that originated in the United Kingdom and then transferred across the pond to our great white way, some making a giant splash and some barely making a ripple. I am your host, Matt Koplik, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts. With me today is, um, I think it's uh, fair to say this is a man who does things. He has his own podcast, Little Me, Growing Up Broadway. You might have seen him during the pandemic filming himself baking with his husband, James, baking with Mark and James, or you are a student at the Broadway workshop, which he has founded. I myself uh, woke up on time for work today and I considered that an achievement. So please welcome to the pod, Mark Tuminelli. Ah! Oh my, can you add in some applause just for my own joy you don't need applause that was those credits were your applause oh thank you you're um your your birdie carvo was very good thank you very much i uh <laughs> usually when i do my intros the, even when i warn the guests they still look at me like i'm absolutely insane and i'm the most talentless hack of all time no i was impressed i just finished watching the bootleg of matilda in preparation for this afternoon and i i think you hit it right on the money Thank you very much, madam. Uh, <laughs> I do wish that people could hear the full monologue Bertie Carville goes into as Trunchbull in Act Two that leads into Quiet. On the original London recording, it is they do record it at the tail end of the finale. Yes, it's like a bonus. Yes, and my goal is to memorize all of it uh, and and just recite it whenever I so choose. Matt, I don't know you well, but I have faith that you can do that. Thank you very much. We've known each other for less than three minutes and Mark already believes in me more than some family members. Mark. <laughs> that is all, like, that is the key to my success actually. <laughs> well, we're talking about the right show then today. First of all, Mark, how are you on this uh, Friday afternoon? You know what? I'm pretty good. I just edited the next episode of Little Me Growing Up Broadway um, with Brooklyn Shuck, who starred on Broadway as Matilda. So that'll yes, she be, did. So that's a fun. I was just listening to her tell me Matilda stories. And um, I uh, am just doing some Broadway workshop and Broadway events work. And I'm excited to get into the weekend. Yes. Mark famously has a heart out for this episode and told me beforehand, he said, apparently you like to talk. So I need to make sure you know that you need to shut the fuck up at some point and I let me do my job. I definitely didn't drop the F-bomb. But... He didn't drop the F-bomb. He did hold a picture of the last person who went on too long when he had a heart out and said that they haven't been found since. So, you know, just as frightening. Also, I do want to say this. 
before we go on. So we were recording this in September. I listened to your episode with Erica Henningsen today to prepare. I mean, I'm texting with her as we are talking right now. Well, fancy. I listened all the way through and I was so wonderfully thrilled when you were asking her questions because you do your, you know. Quick fire questions. Exactly. And you asked her if there was any show she could go back and see, what would it be? And she said, The Carousel with Audra. Now, Mark, you don't know me, but you're going to, all my listeners know this about me. If there is one thing that I think is the greatest thing to ever come to Broadway, it is the 1994 Carousel with Audra and Sally Murphy and Michael Hayden. Uh, How old were you in 1994? I was four. I I turned four two days after the revival opened. I'm sure you loved it. Well, I didn't see it live. I was given the cast recording as a kid. My grandmother worked for Lincoln Center at the time. So she had to see it all the time because all their big donors, every time she would have to entertain them, she's like, do you want to see American Ballet Theater? Do you want to go to the Philharmonic? Like, no, we really want to see Carousel. She's like, Jesus Christ. So she saw it like 15 times. But she got me the cast recording, I remember, and I was obsessed with it. I loved all the photos. My parents thought it was too dark of a show to take me at four, but they thought at five I was just right to see Les Mis. And so I did not like become obsessed with it, obsessed with it until college when I refound it. And then I got to go see it at the Lincoln Center Library. Uh, all my friends who are in the bootleg world community, community got me got their hands on any bootleg that was available of it and sent it to me. I have since spliced them all together with the reviewer reels of that show and put it on YouTube. So anyone who wants to watch oh, it, I'm it's gonna, up there. I'm going to check um, that out. I'll tell oh, Erica check it out. as well. Please do. But yeah, I, she said that and I was like, first of all, it's not the carousel that Audra did. It's the carousel that Sally Murphy did. All right. Listen, <laughs> I'm a wild party fan. Yes, ha- please. Can I come back for your wild party episode? Have you done one already? Well, I did do a two-parter comparing the two. Uh, which I I tried to be very diplomatic. I was like, let's analyze these two and figure it out because I have my preferences. But we did a good job. No, I, I'll, I'll totally do them again. If it only just means to have you come on for a longer period of time than what we have today, God damn okay, it. Okay, let's talk time about, talking about shit that the listeners already know. But tell Erica Henningsen she's got amazing taste because that is the greatest production ever, but it is on YouTube. Anywho, speaking of... British people. Speaking of Lauren Ward, who is in the ensemble of Carousel. Speaking of parents who don't believe in you. Mark, what dang show are we talking about today? We're talking about Matilda the Musical, RSC's huge smash London musical, lukewarm to Broadway transfer. Yeah, I would say it was like slightly above lukewarm. Yeah, Not I, red would ag- hot. I, would, I would agree. Yeah. Not quite the red hot that it was there. but And it, and it continues to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that its reputation continues to grow. Mark, what is your history with this show, if you have any? Yeah, yeah. Um, Obviously, I'm someone who works with kids on Broadway. And so this Matilda coming in was going to be a big deal. So I tried to like really ingrain myself into the cast album, uh, Mm -hmm. the London cast album. And I just really couldn't lock myself in ever. Um, And then I saw maybe like the third or fourth preview. Mm -hmm. And there was so much I liked about it. And um, I certainly was the, a very big champion of that show over Kinky Boots in that Tony season. It was definitely the show that I liked more than the other. Mark, and uh, are we becoming best friends? We are today? becoming BFF. So there was a lot, a lot I liked about it. And so that was it. And then I had multiple students in the show. Uh-huh. And so I went back to see it several times. And the same things I had issues with the first time continued to be issues for me the next 
times I saw it. But Annalise Carpaccio's in the show. Um, and of course, Brooklyn was in the show. And who else did I have in the show? And um, uh, it doesn't matter. We can go on and on. Ava DeMary and yeah, lots of. Lots I don't of know if anyone realized this when I introduced him, but Mark is famous and important and well-connected and knows everyone and has worked with everyone. So I would argue, you know, everyone in Matilda, everyone in Phantom, everyone in Mean Girls, everyone in Hades Town owes their success to Mark. He doesn't have to say it. We're saying it for That's him. That's very sweet. Thank you, Matt. Facts are facts, America. So that is all well and good. I look forward to hearing your notes. I loved this show from the get-go, at least when I listened to the London cast recording first, because I remember when Buzz was coming around from London. I don't know about you. Like I always would read up on whatever reviews were coming from London, like Variety or the New York Times, they would go over and see whatever was hot there and be like, hey guys, this is actually good or no, this is terrible. And the review Variety gave for Matilda when it was still at Stratford-upon-Avon, I was like, that sounds baller. And then I watched their Olivier performance. I was like, that looks really cool. And then I listened to the London cast recording and unlike you, I super was into it. Okay. I would like, I felt head over heels and just could not wait for it. Saw it on Broadway three times, not because I knew anyone in it, just because I did like it. And anytime a friend from out of town came in, they're like, do you want to see Mil- Matilda? And I was like, you don't have to twist my arm. Sure, I'll go see it again. It. I will say I did plenty have- of Plenty of seats available. <laughs> yeah, well, not in that first year. Not in the first year. Was- yes, and yeah. we will talk about this in the legacy part of it, uh, yeah. the aftermath. The second, third, fourth year, yeah, seats available. I do have some issues with the production of it that I did not have at the time. But rewatching it in preparation for this episode, I was like, oh, no, like there are things that I would change only because what I fell in love with on the cast recording from London was blown up a little bigger than I would have liked. But we'll go into this as we discuss the show. Um, So now that everyone knows about our history with Matilda, how about I do a little history on the show? Not our history, but the history. Uh, If you know anything while I talk, Feel free to butt in. You got it. Yeah, I do love to talk, but I also love conversations. So Matilda is a musical with a book by Dennis Kelly, scored by Tim Minchin. It is based on the famous children's book by Raoul Dahl, a famous children's literary writer and noted anti-Semite, which is something we learn a lot with British authors. Uh, we learned that with I'm Dickens. I'm not getting involved in this. Keep going. No, we learned it with Dickens. We learned it with T.S. Eliot. We learned it with Raoul Dahl. You can... Note that and still find the works good. Lord knows the book Matilda is a masterpiece and I'm able to say that. Uh, Dahl's idea was always to write a book about a child who had telekinesis. Basically, he was like, what if I wrote Carrie, but she's a child and she doesn't murder anyone? And it's like, great, book it. And his original intention was to make Matilda a naughty child uh, and he wanted her to die in the end. So I guess not totally unlike Carrie. And he showed some drafts to his editors and they're like, so how about she doesn't die? And how about maybe she's a little more likable? And Roald Dahl's like, huh. So I think because at that point he'd written so many books where the child was so likable, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach. He's like, what if I wrote a book about a child that's just terrible? Wouldn't that be cool? And his editors are like, no, we want someone we can root for. So he sort of redoes the whole thing and he decides to make her uh, smart and earnest and likable. And rather than her being sort of a brat, it's more that she is challenging authority and a society that is bratty to her. So similar to a lot of his other books, it's the adults who are kind of brats and the children who are sort of wiser beyond their years. Uh, The book was published in 1988. 
huge, huge success. And Matilda became a role model for young readers everywhere. Doll, uh, Doll dies in 1990 the movie version comes out in like 96 97 i think something like that right uh i want to say 96 yeah with one tomorrow please do while i continue i just threw that date out of the back of my head you would have thought that i would look it up and write it down but i didn't because i didn't think it was that important uh starring miss mara wilson and that kind of 96 here we go. Here we go. That's how my brain works, honey. I, I, for some reason, those numbers just stay in there. I can't tell you the square root of 57, but I can tell you that that movie came out in 1996. I'm like, who can tell you the square root of 57? I don't know. Just somebody. Podcast. Keep I'll going. bet you Audra can or her daughter can. Those, those two women know everything. Anyway, so that's to say nothing really ever uh, else happened with Matilda after the movie. And then Tim Minchin, who up until this was mostly known as like a comedic singer songwriter, very um, sort of like an Australian Bo Burnham, if that makes sense to American listeners. He did very sort of controversial lyrics and topics. He has a whole thing about the Pope, which uses the F word constantly. So, you know, I'm using F word instead of the other word because I have- We're a classy, it's a classy day. I say, I have a gentleman on my podcast today. I have a professional gentleman. So Tim Minchin came upon the book as an adult. I think he was reading it to his kid or maybe to a niece or nephew or something like that. And he was like, oh, this would make a really cool musical. So he was thinking about optioning it to produce it. Contacts the Doll Estate. He's like, have you guys thought about making this a musical? And they're like, yeah, uh, send us your score and we'll take a look at it. And he's like, I don't have a score. I just wanted to produce the thing. So he kind of like shut down. He was like, "I'm I'm not touching that. That was around 2007. Uh, Keep that in mind, because a year later, he comes back. What ends up happening is the Royal Shakespeare Company, which we learned about during our Les Mis episode, was financially hurting in the early 2000s. They had mostly just been doing productions of their classics, Shakespeare, Ibsen, things like that. They hadn't done a musical since Carrie. And since that was such a bomb and really kind of tarnished their reputation for a while, they sort of... stayed away from it and musicals in general and sort of stuck with what they knew. The problem was is that their subscriber base was dwindling and their productions were not really catching fire anymore and they needed money. For lack of a better term, they needed money. So they were like, let's start creating works again and let's do another musical. So Matilda came about because it was just going to be their Christmas show. This is a trend we see a lot with some of the, a lot of these British shows, especially at the national, like it was just going to be the Christmas show for kids like war horse or Corin boy. And like, it then blows up. Uh, and they're figuring out who they wanted to work on it. And they reached out to Dennis Kelly, who is a playwright, mostly known for his controversial works. He was like, he has a whole play about Osama bin Laden. It's like a dark comedy. He said, are you sure you want me to write this? Like, that was my last play. Like, this is exactly why you should write it. We don't want someone who writes for children's programs. We want someone who, you know, so out of the box. So he starts to work on a draft. They get Matthew Warchus to direct it. Warchus brings on uh, Peter Darling. Warchus is the one who actually ends up reaching out to Tim Minchin. He was looking through all of the sort of songwriting teams in theater on the West End. Probably Styles and Drew were hit up at one point. And some of this score sounds a lot like Styles and Drew, if we want to be very honest. I mean, sure. I don't necessarily care for Styles and Drew, so I was going to say something a little nasty, but I won't. Uh, I I hear what you're saying. I like the score more than what they do. But maybe that's intentional. Who's to say? But he wasn't finding the right 
writers, he wanted someone who could be earnest, but also have a lot of dry sarcasm about them. And he went to go see a Tim Minchin show and Tim Minchin does his set, which is all, you know, these curse words and controversial subjects. And he's like, well, it's very funny, but I need someone who can also write a serious song. And the show ends and then Tim Minchin comes out and sings a serious song. And Matthew Ward just basically goes backstage. She's like, so um, I'm doing Matilda and you're writing the score. And mentions like, I wanted to produce it, but then I got cold feet about writing a score. I've never written one before. And Warchus was like, well, get over yourself because you're going to write it. I'm almost 100% certain those are the exact words. So you can quote me. That's verbatim what they said. They didn't even have accents. They said it in an American accent. And then they went back to their regular accents after they said what I just said. They workshopped the show for about a year. The production got announced for, I believe it was, October of 2009 or 2010. See, this is where November, really... November 2010 at Stratford. There we go. November 2010 in Stratford. This is why, thank you for having Wikipedia up because I thought I wrote a lot what of What if they stuff. were just all in my head and I knew everything? I wouldn't be surprised. I've listened to your podcast. You know things. Well, that's really sweet. <laughs> and I am not very sweet. I, I've got that. I am not one to give compliments very freely. They do a workshop for about a year and a couple of things they decide on in the workshops are they first were debating if they wanted Matilda to sing at all. They're like, what if she's, you know, sort of like a um, manage her situation. Everyone sort of sings around her and they went, no, she should sing. So then her only song was going to be quiet. And they're like, no, she should sing more than that. Uh, she's like too passive. They also were playing around with if Matilda was going to be played by an adult or a kid. If the other kids were going to be played by adults or kids, they kind of were going around with that, which is something that happens a lot in British theater. They ultimately decided on Matilda and her uh, companions would all be played by children and that the quote unquote older kids would be played by adults, which we will talk about when we talk about the show itself. The other change they made was they were originally looking to write Trunchable, the villain, for an actress, for a female identifying actress. And they were playing her up much more as like a campy villain and Roald Dahl's widow, uh, Felicity, said to them, Remember, she's murdered people. Like, yeah, she's funny, but she's also a murderer. And like, right, 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 right. She has to be capable of the killing. So they sort of tweaked the character a bit. And they also were like, we couldn't find an actress who could sort of be other, like like an other being. Like, like what they said was they didn't want Trunchbull to feel like a human being. They wanted it to feel like a monster with human tendencies. That was the only way that, all of her monstrosity would ever be humorous to an audience. And also in British theater, there's a long history of pantomime of men playing female roles and women doing pants roles. It's gender is much more fluid on the London stage than it's ever been on the Broadway, which we applaud. And so they go with one Bertie Carvel. I think it's actually Carvel, but I like saying Carvel reminds me of the ice cream. They do their previews in November of 2010 at Stratford-upon-Avon at the Courtyard Theater, which is a nice big old thrust stage. They have three actresses uh, rotating the role of Matilda for two reasons. One, child labor laws. And two, Matthew Warchers was like, I don't want any of these girls to bear the brunt of having to carry an entire musical at the age of nine or 10. And also I want them to not like have this be the only thing about their lives. So if each one of them- As does, if any of those kids are like doing anything else, but keep going. Well, I mean, if they're doing like two or three shows a week, they still have, you know, four other days of the week to do things. That was sort of his idea, his thinking was like, I don't want this girl to be stuck in a theater six days a week. And it's like, I would like her to have at least two days a week of being a child. And also, oh no, did you hear that ding? 
I did. Is that God time? It. It's time for what? It was you need to come up with a game right now? <laughs> oh God! Um, sorry, I'm just so popular. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we can. We don't have to go into too much. His thinking was also, you know, I don't want this child to feel the pressure of having a whole sh- uh, show on their shoulders, which I understand. Not everyone can be an Andrea McCardle who can just sort of take it all in stride and be like, whatever, it's a Wednesday. Yes. Some, some kids have anxiety. Uh, the show is a really huge success. They move it about a year later in 2011 to uh, the Cambridge Theater on the West End where it gets rave reviews. It wins a record-breaking seven Olivier Awards, including Best Musical. The only other musical to get that number of Olivier's is Hamilton. I oh, I thought this was going to be the test part. Oh, so, oh no, they, there's, <laughs> there's no test. The questions are not a test, Mark. That's just at the end, and that's fun. Do you know what show actually has the most Olivier's? I don't know if I do. So Matilda and Hamilton are tied with seven, but those that's for musical. It's a play that has nine. Okay. Is it, is it Mousetrap? <laughs> is it The Inheritance? No. Oh. Mousetrap would make sense only in the idea of they're like, every year we give an award for longest running play and every year it goes to the Mousetrap. mousetrap. <laughs> We're happy to just be Okay, alive. so what is the play? It's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Oh, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Which when when I saw the awards they won, I'm like, I mean, it makes sense. They won like which every is really design. nine plays if you. Really <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it takes up nine days of your life when you it's really lot, take it's into a lot account. Of play. Obviously, Matilda was going to come to Broadway. Yes, yes, that was always going to happen. And here's where we kind of get into a sticky situation because the Royal Shakespeare Company said, "Remember when we did Les Mis? Remember how that show has made billions of dollars?" We did not make billions of dollars from that because we were partnering with uh, pompous douche Cameron McIntosh. And he negotiated a way that we got a sizable income, but not as much as we should have. And like, we won't have that happen again. Matilda is a really big hit. It, we can stand to make a lot of money from this. So we are going to find a producer that is not going to take the wheel on Broadway, but rather is going to let us uh, do our own thing. And so they kind of for lack of a better term, they they messed around with a lot of Broadway producers while they were figuring out what house they wanted to go with, what producer they wanted to go with. So they were discussing with the Nederlanders, but they also were discussing with the Weislers and just everyone thought that they had it in the bag. And then they kind of came out of nowhere saying that they were going to produce it with the Dodgers. And everyone was really upset because they're like, we wined and dined you. You basically said that it was us. And like everyone kind of went away like, oh, wait, they said that to you. They said that to you. They said everyone was like, oh, we got played. It was um, it's the equivalent of texting someone on Tinder and saying that you are really excited to meet them and say, yeah, I can't wait. You seem really great. Only to find out they're texting seven other people saying the exact same thing. And you never get that date. So your mind gets really messed up and we don't like it, which is why Broadway was mad when Matilda came to Broadway. No one was happy. Uh, they do decide to go with the Schubert Theater. It's a pretty smooth process, though, in terms of rehearsals, in terms of previews. The biggest complaint in previews, I remember, were people saying they couldn't understand the show. The sound design was notoriously terrible. And the kids were having issues with the accents and so a lot of lyrics were misunderstood or just not understood at all during previews and then on top of that they didn't want to americanize the show they wanted to keep it in its british roots 
And they did not really hold firm to that after a while. They started to let go of some stuff. Uh, Escapologist became escape artist in year three, I think. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And other words started to creep in as well. There were some new orchestrations. There was an, uh, a show curtain. They added an overture pretty early into the run that wasn't there, which I, makes me not mad. It frustrates me because I liked how it always opened with that school bell. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was so British and weird. And then they added this like big menacing overture. I'm like, that's not what I like, but we'll get, we'll, we'll go into that in just a second. The point is Mark, the point is since you asked, is that I definitely did ask. <laughs> you did ask. They do open at the Schubert Theater on April 11th. And the only two members of the British company to come over are Bertie Carvel, Carvel as Trunchbull and Miss Lauren Ward as Miss Honey. I'm a very big Lauren Ward fan. I'm not, you're not going to get any negativity about her performance from me. Oh, absolutely not. I have a Lauren Ward story that I already told on the podcast when I had Natasha Diaz on. So take a second, everyone, as I do a transition music and tell Mark this very, very quick story that you all have heard. All I know I learned from Telly, this big, beautiful box of facts. If you know a thing already, baby, you can switch the channel over just like that. Endless joy and endless laughter, folks living happily ever after. All you need to make you wise is 23 minutes plus advertisements. Why would we... So that's me in a nutshell. Got it. So we love Lauren Ward. Back to, back to business. Yes, we came out of it. The show opens on April 11th. And what happens after April 11th, we'll get into. Mark, what's Matilda about? Matilda is about a girl who is uh, severely mistreated by her family, um, who has a very wild imagination and uh, some magical powers. Mm-hmm. And uh, through her determination, she is able to defeat the evil teacher what is trunchbull the headmistress uh, headmistress of the school and um and uh get kids to swing on a swing and uh do a cartwheel on a rake stage and have last bow that's really that's really what matilda's about yeah she's got telekinesis she's very 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 smart she's it's the pre it's a prequel to carrie yeah it's it's carrie if carrie was taken away from her mom at a young enough age. No, but who's to say, who's to say that Miss Honey and Matilda don't become Carrie and Margaret White? Oh my God. That is such a take. What if at the end of the show, instead of them doing a cartwheel, Lauren Ward slowly brought out a giant crucifix. I was going to say a Bible. Bible. Yeah, a Bible. Mm -hmm. And she just starts to look at her and things get a little red and we go and we close the door into the basement or some shit. Yeah, she was like, Matilda never needed to use her powers again. Crucifix and Bible. And everyone in the audience goes, "Mm, we know differently. And then we come back the next night for Carrie. Yeah, just like Harry Potter or The Inheritance. It's a two-parter. Got it. I'm into it. Yeah, me too. So I am not the artistic director. Oh, I am the artistic director of my own theater, but this is why no one will hire me to be the artistic director of a different theater. Well, maybe if you do your uh, Carrie Matilda double bill, someone will look, you know what? We didn't think that was going to work, and yet it did. There we go. I actually, I always thought it would work. (laughs) Listen, they laughed at Sondheim for writing a musical about meat pies. They laughed at Trevor Nunn for directing a musical about Les Miserables. And who's laughing now? Who's laughing now? Who's laughing now? So do it and make them all stop laughing. What is your favorite song in this show, Mark, if you have one? Um, no, Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, When I Grow Up is like a perfect musical theater song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it honestly like makes me feel something when I hear it. 
And then uh, I think My House is Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I think Naughty is a pretty great song. So there, there are about three things that really kind of stick out mm-hmm. for me. What is it about My House that you like? Because I have my thing, but I want to hear your thing. Uh, I just think it's like a really simple song in an evening of the most complicated music you have ever heard. And the three things I just called out are very uh, sort of surfacely beautiful musical theater songs. Mm-hmm. And the 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 I may be putting the cart before the horse a little bit, but like there's so much of this music sounds like it's fighting with each other. Mm-hmm. It's so overly dense and complicated that it is very hard to connect to it. It's very hard to let it wash over you. Like it's, it feels like math problem, which mm-hmm. is right for the show, which makes sense. So it's to me, it's like to have these sweet moments of uh, kind of simple musical theater songs. My house is like such a breath where you can like just listen to someone be beautiful and sing a gorgeous song that has a very clear beginning, middle, and an end and then it's like even quiet which is matilda's 11 o'clock number it's like oh my god i feel like i'm in a tornado which is okay because that's what we're that's the feeling that's why i don't dislike this show it's just so heady for me that it's like hard to get in the middle i totally hear you i also also say with my house what i really like about my house and you probably know this as a teacher someone who has to you know uh help students with musical theater songs it is much more interesting in a scene for someone to not f- address the issue in a scene. Like that that's more interesting scene work to me anyway. Then mm-hmm. to have have there be a problem, have the song sort of being about trying to not address the problem and talk about something else, that is sort of conflict. So my house, the conflict is Miss Honey, spoiler alert, everybody. Miss Honey lives in a cottage and it's because Miss Trunchbull is her aunt and murdered her father when she was a kid. And basically she ran away and she has no money. That's the conflict. And Matilda's reminding her, your aunt drew, uh, drove you out of your house. Your aunt has your money. Your aunt killed your father. And Miss Honey doesn't want to talk about that. She just wants to talk about the things in her home that make her happy that uh, are enough for her. And the truth underneath that is that it's not really enough for her. Or at least if it's enough for her, it's not going to be enough for her forever. Just But she's minute. conditioned herself to say, these are the things that make me happy yes. and I'm okay. It is. She keeps As a repeating, defense mechanism. Yes. Defense mechanism. She keeps repeating. It's not, it, it isn't much, but it, it is enough for me for this is my house. And that is a wonderful thing to act. And unfortunately, that's not something that's in a lot of modern musical theater. A lot of musical, modern musical theater is word vomit word vomit word vomit or it's just like the most broad stroked put it up on a billboard so everyone understands the emotions i am feeling or on the other end of things it can be the most vague wording of broad emotions so that it can uh touch everyone it's like the bella in twilight effect where bella in twilight is written so basically and vaguely that any girl all of the world i can't help you here with this well you don't have to help me i'm explaining to you my reference here mark she is written so vaguely that basically any girl anywhere reading can think that she's bella and a lot of musical theater songs do the same thing where it's like let me write sort of what i call empty poetry where anyone can relate because it's not about anything specific So my house is both very specific, but it's also not addressing the issue head on. It is trying to, as you said, be a musical defense mechanism about an issue that is prominent, but not being dealt with. And that is really good acting material. It isn't much, but it is enough for me. This is my house. This is my house. 
Miss Honey stuff is so great. That like knock on the yeah. door section. It's just like you pathetic. really, I, I, you really kind of go. Is that what that song's called? It's called Pathetic. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, you, you know, you sort of really. I feel like you lock into her more than Matilda, which is uh, a little bit of a problem for me in the musical. Mm. But I think Matilda is interesting because the character of Matilda, and this is something that you sort of see in the book as well. The movie with Mara Wilson and the movie is also very American, which you don't realize unless you've read the book as well, how much the movie kind of caters the story to American audiences. They uh, play up the sort of, uh, quirkiness of her powers and they make that much more of a prominent storytelling device whereas in the book and in the musical Matilda having telekinesis isn't that she's magical it's that she's so intelligent and her brain has so much power and it's not being properly put to use so all that excess energy has sort of has to go somewhere yes it has shot out of her eyeballs and allowed things to move which is not necessarily science but that's in the world of doll you know like that's it makes sense in the world of doll in the same world where trunchbull can throw a girl by her pigtails over a fence and the girl does not get injured one bit like that kind of thing when he talks about trunchbull dropping kids and they bounce i'm like children don't bounce all, in case anyone was wondering but no I absolutely... it's a fantasy world in which has been perfectly created I mean when you yeah. think about Charlie and Chocolate Factory and you think about this there's so so many similarities to the way the children are written mm-hmm. and that it does feel like it's the other side of the looking glass it really is like a Lewis Carroll version of uh, childhood which is quite fascinating in, yeah. in so many ways well because everything is sort of my blowing your mind right now <laughs> honestly doesn't take much these days you are very truthful about all of that dolls worlds are interesting because as i said before you know you have a lot of adult characters that are the villains and they're villains in the sense that they are truly menacing and they are capable of harm but there's also something relatively stupid about the villains as well so while they are ruthless they are not as intelligent as the protagonist which is why i think it sort of feels like the playing field is even especially because our protagonist tends to be a child and no matter how clever they might be they are smaller in stature both physically and in society uh, which Dahl talks about with matilda when he talks about all of matilda's revenge plots against her parents he says like listen matilda is insanely bright but she's also five. So there's a lot she can't really do to get back at her dad. She has to be very clever. And which is why she does the peroxide and she glues his hat to his head, which, and in the show, in the book, they have the same thought, which is just fine. Like, you know, sometimes you have, you have to be a little naughty. You can't be good all the time if you're going to teach someone a lesson, which is very accurate. Some You can be classy all you want. Some people don't get the message unless you get your hands dirty just a little bit. Not that I'm condoning violence or people gluing hats to other people's heads. I'm just saying. I think sometimes. if your parent is that horrible to you, then maybe. I mean, it's yeah. Okay. I mean, if your parents that horrible to you, dye their hair without their knowledge. That's fine. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
Had you ever read the book? I don't think I have. Maybe I did when I was younger. I don't Uh have a real recollection of it. And I never saw that Mara Wilson movie. The Mar- so, you, but you're aware of the Mara Wilson movie, oh, right? Of course, I'm yeah. a, I was an alive person. It was a big <laughs> movie, but I was, I think I was, two, I was 16 when that movie came out. So I was like, not going to watch a kid's uh-huh. movie then. And yeah, so I think I just sort of maybe missed the, the, the whole Matilda. I don't think it was a craze, but I don't, <laughs> I certainly did not get on board. Contrary to popular belief, Mark was an alive person. In I was a live person, but I was like very busy, like researching Ava Perone. <laughs> <laughs> that is a rite of passage for any gay teenager. I, I, I would say so. Yep. Once like, you hit what 15, is this? You hit 15 and you go, who's this woman? Well, yeah. also, I was. How do I get came... a bootleg of smile? Like, these are the things I was worrying about. Mark, truly, you're saying all the right things to me right now. My listeners know, are really. to the point where I'm like, have you actually listened to this podcast? I, I did. I listened to your Avita episode because John, I'm a big fan of Jonathan Hoover. I think he's oh, so Jonathan's talented. lovely. Yeah. I assume you didn't listen to the entire episode because she's long. No, I got, I got, I listened to the first half hour. I got a sense. Okay, great. I don't think I mentioned Smile in the first half hour, but I mentioned Smile <laughs> almost every episode. Uh, I mentioned Smile. I mentioned Carousel. I mentioned Sex in the City to the point that my listener, I mentioned Stage Door Manor to the point that my listeners are like, Jesus, take a shot every time he says any of these things. But I adore Smile. I I have said before, Encores needs to do it. It needs to be the Samuel French version though, because that script is legitimately strong whereas on broadway it's not terrible but you watch and you're like oh i see why this didn't click on broadway they were trying to take a medium-sized dark comedy and make it a big splashy all-american musical not that but i mean jody benson and lycra we stand a legend i know i know a lot about smile the musical as do i we're good that'll that'll be another episode in fact maybe i'll bring you back for the next series which i'm not telling people what it is yet because i'm not entirely sure if it's going to be this, but I think it is, I'll decide when I record the final episode, which is in two weeks. Anywho, uh, this has nothing to do with anything. Oh, uh, Avita. So the Avita movie came out, I think, the year before Matilda, right? 95. I, 15. Yeah. I were you I, were you aware of Avita before the movie came out? Yes. Okay. Very. Um, let me look at Avita movie. Um, I mean, I went to the AMC in 72nd Street, like, mm-hmm. I mean, 66, whatever that is, and saw it on the big 96 yeah 96 i was 16 the same year mm-hmm. well so uh it was on imax and i got a postcard to invite me oh to see God. avita on the imax screen and i went with my friend amanda we went into manhattan and saw avita and i loved it i mean she's a big splashy musicale he supports you for he loves you understands you is and one i of also you. was like the biggest madonna fan there could be at that point so it was so- like and then I did my senior project the next year on Avita, <laughs> on the film. And uh, I had to show most of the film to my drama class. I borrowed it from Blockbuster Video and I have to keep extending it because the movie's so long. Um, anyway, uh, no one really- The movie's longer than the show is. Yes, nobody really had the same sort of enthusiasm for the Avita film as I did in my high school. Well, thank you. I'd never heard of a George Glass at our school, but- <laughs> That is to say, I don't think Madonna would have been a very good Matilda. <laughs> I'm trying to bring it back. She'd be uh, I don't a good think... Mrs. Wormwood. I, I'd see that. She would. I don't know if she'd be able to sort of 
make fun of herself enough to do that. The only time I've ever seen her kind of be silly was on that one episode of Will and Grace, which is still my Hold favorite. Hold the phone. This is time out. You've never seen Who's That Girl? No, I haven't seen Who's That Girl. Okay, you you have to watch. It's the greatest Madonna movie of all time. She In is what like way? Billie Holiday, like, um, she is, um, it, it is just like the wildest character. Like, she's a dumb blonde, like, it's it's genius. It's a great okay. movie. If you say so. I mean, I really like the idea of um, Rose. I think it's uh, Ros- Rosanna Arquette. Is that the one who who's in um, Desperately Seeking Susan with her? Yes. Rosanna Arquette, I think, would be well. She might be too old now, but she would have been a great Mrs. Wormwood. She has sort of that like ah chose look see you chose books kind of attitude that she can just sort of go for broke on screen. Re- I mean, Rita Perlman did the movie. And she's very good at it. Um, the movie, they do the whole running joke of her parents never know her true age, whereas in the musical, they don't ever, they keep on... Uh, her gender. Yeah, they keep saying she's a boy and she's a girl. Uh, but that's also because the dad wanted a boy and he just basically threw willpower and hopefully, and uh, hoping to uh, gaslight everyone that he can just convince everyone that he has a second son. Uh, what is your least favorite song in this show? Oh, sure. Um... I guess I would say it is, um, I'm looking at this song list and, uh, oh, it's definitely that gym sequence. The Smell, smell of Rebellion? Rebellion? I'm like, this is uh, terrible. Interesting. Yes. I like Smell of Rebellion. I don't like how it's done on stage because again, I listened to it with Bertie Carvel in the London cast recording and he's just so deadpan. I call mm-hmm. him sort of like the driest British piranha in that recording. And I dev- I want people who know Matilda, if you haven't listened to the London cast recording, I recommend it over the Broadway one. Uh, the Broadway one obviously has all the changes to the score that are now there. The London cast recording has extra verses, whatnot. But Birdie is a little more kind of um, uh, fidgety on the Broadway cast recording, I guess is the word I would use. He does a couple more like ticks and bits, and he's just a little more simple on the London one, which in my opinion makes him funnier. And... There's something just so bonkers about it, especially because it, you know, the only songs are fun to watch. I don't want to cut you off, but the songs are fun to watch. Oh, see, that's the thing. I didn't find Smell of Rebellion fun to watch on stage. I liked listening to it. So you and I are polar opposites. Except for our smile of love. We're we're enemies. I would never want to listen to most of these songs, but um, the visual when I was rewatching it this afternoon, I was like, oh, this was fun. I remember this being funny. And this yeah, page, like the kids hitting each other to jump over the thing. It's just like not, again, it's like noise to me. It's not like, it's not like this interesting musical number, you know, even like Miracle is like, it's like, sounds like someone's having a seizure. And see, that's the thing though, is I prefer listening to the London it's all goes back to the London one I just prefer listening to the London version of Miracle the orchestrations are smaller the kids are more uh understood they're not shouting and it's just a little I mean it's again trying to say about American children what is your least favorite song in the show well what am I trying to say about American children no I've liked it I liked it on Broadway all three times I saw it and the second time I saw it Millie Shapiro was Matilda and that is like top three of my favorite child performances I've ever seen uh, up there with the bootleg of Ruthless with Catherine Zaremba, which oh, is something isn't that I, great. Oh yeah, that's part of what got Mark to say yes to this podcast. Was I said I'm like I love Catherine Zaremba and Ruthless. He's like, well, you can't be terrible people. No, then. yeah, I mean, there there are so few people who even know what we're talking about right now. My mommy says, I'm 
Again, there's something about just letting the audience kind of come in in the same way that I talked about in the Cats episode where like, whether you like Cats or not, the reason why it works for a lot of people is because Trevor Nunn sort of directed everyone on stage to be like, we're doing our thing. And like, if you want to watch, you can, but like, I don't know, like only if you want to, like, we're, we're, but we're going to do our thing. It's very, that British mentality of like, we're not inviting you, but you can stay. And there's some there's something about that attitude on the London cast recording that I liked and thought worked really well in the world of doll the way that the boy sings and then says in miracle it goes um one day when i'm older i can be a soldier and shoot you in the face it's just so quiet and smug that i think it's so great whereas on stage he goes and shoot you in the face and it gets a laugh but i'm like i think it's funnier to see like a smug little five-year-old say the most psychotic thing like and that's hard to do in a in a 1400 seat theater exactly which is why i'm weirdly looking in an alternate space or in a yeah, thrust or yeah a... i'm not i'm not it's an unfair comparison i understand that very much so because the mediums are different a like cast recording and on stage but it's why i gravitated so hard to the recording and then while i still very much liked it on stage as i as i said again as i uh got reassociated with the show for this episode and watched not just that one broadway bootleg i watched a couple of other videos i did not send you all the things that i came upon okay. i I was restrained and I told you that you didn't have to watch everything. I was like, I'm giving you options. I know I didn't want to, I didn't want to come on here and not be able to talk about like sure. a show I saw for the last time in the last, maybe like eight, six months of its run on Broadway. Like I don't sure. remember what I did last week, but this was um, many years ago. Yeah. The but kids that I saw, went to see in the show are out of college. <laughs> I thought about that. I've, I sure. had, Emma Howard on. So I used to do a web series. Speaking of you baking, I used to do a web series called Baking It on Broadway, and I had Emma Howard on for Matilda. And that girl is now in college in London. And I think she's about to graduate. And I'm like, how the time flies. She was in middle school when well, I little Ava uh, Demary, who was in the show, played Charity, My Sweet Charity, her senior year of high school, and then now she's going to her senior year at Pace. So I mean, it's just like it all it all happens very quickly. Has the workshop done Smile with these kids? You know what? We haven't. I um, was brought in to write a school version of Smile many years ago, which was mm -hmm. my big dream I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. is, uh, sort of cut the show down to 90 minutes, change the ending, <laughs> like move some things around. And uh, I had gotten the green light to do it. And then some things went a little south and Marvin died. And it's mm -hmm. just, um, and so uh, it never happened. But it's, you know, it's on my list of things I'd like to accomplish at some point. Would you, would you still do your 90 minute version or would you just do the show? No, I would do. I, I'm not interested in producing it unless I can do a rewrite. So God. I don't know if you know, at probably workshop. I take a lot of shows. They give it to me and I try to come up with what the 90 minute high school or school version might be. And then they let me do a few passes at it. And I try to, you know, sometimes I rewrite the show fully. Sometimes I just do little edits. Um, we've done spam a lot. All shook up. We will rock you. That Wind in the Willows, um, that we were talking about those composers earlier. Mm -hmm. um, Head Over Heels, we did, was the last one of those I did. So just lots of shows that I've had my, I put my little hands in and, and reworked. Yeah. I did not know that you guys did 90 minute versions because uh, despite what you think right here, right now, Mark, mm -hmm. um, I am not a youthful high schooler. I know I have the skin of a youthful high school kid, but I am, I am not. So I uh, was unfortunately not able to partake in any of your shows while you were doing them, I'm simply I mean, you, too old. You're only 31, right? How dare you? Yes, I am. 
how dare you speak my age so exactly <laughs> and with such conviction um it's fine you, you probably yeah you were you just you probably just missed the broadway workshop experience because you started what oh six oh seven uh yeah oh so well january 08 was our first first class with laura okay Bellandi. yeah no i was i i missed it because i was knee deep in college uh, applications at the time and the one thing i did that was like after school theater related I, I had been doing it for five years, so there's no way I was backing out of it for that last semester. Were you Should've... at Kids Theater? What were you doing? No. Isn't Kids Theater in LA? No, they're they're here. Oh, they did Smile. Uh, they did. They've done it twice, I think. Because Michaela Diamond was Doria. That's my girl. It's, a, it's all on Diamond. YouTube. You think I haven't seen that shine that they do? That's a good shine. Uh, no, I was uh, with applause. Oh, great. Yeah, it's... I had a fine enough time, but not great. But that's not, we're not talking about applause. We're Sorry. not even talking about kids. We're not talking about your work. We're talking about Matilda. Okay. I don't even know where we're at anymore. Back we to were Matilda. Talking... We were doing best song, least favorite, yes. most favorite. Uh, I think my least favorite song is actually right. Telly. I don't like Telly very much. Well, it's only there so you can come back late from the bathrooms. That's true. And this all will be uh, brought back in our fire round no speed round questions speed fire speed we call them quick fire questions on the little me quick podcast. fire that is the word i'm trying to use i but i i never can think of it i was like speed racer racing speed, demon i'll call it a speed racer on my next episode speed racer questions what okay if edit. you were if you were to do an edit of matilda which well, I'm they, assuming they've done it. They've, you, they've done it. MTI has done it. There is a one. Well, they have their juniors versions. There's or a whatnot. junior version of Matilda. But no, we're not even just talking like trims here and there because you you were talking, you know, sometimes restructuring of things. Yeah. Knowing that Matilda has to be a child and you can't really put too much on her for the fear of maybe like it all collapsing on her shoulders. Who, who said that? I did. I did. I okay. said it. Well, how would you restructure the show then or or sort of revamp the show to make her feel much more of like uh the the pulse of it i do i think that the this is it's too late for this because the show is created but the opening number doesn't set her up for success so like their miracles very cool but it is and we're getting a lot of information and the pregnancy and the mm -hmm. doctor and then this song and we're just now we have spent 12 minutes or whatever and we don't know who the the story who we're following here and so like i wish there was some way to kind of get matilda more involved in from the this first i want her to be the first voice we hear and mm -hmm. I, I don't i don't know how to fix that with what what is here but mm -hmm. um i almost wish like that opening number uh would would give us her life and then we get to naughty uh, if i would i would have done a big rewrite of that opening number if I had the option. Um, and then, you know, it's just like, it's cutting away fat. So when things are like loud goes on forever and it's like, this is not about anything. It's just a musical number. Like yeah. there, it does feel like there are so many moments of this show that are there to be spectacular. Uh, what is it? What's the song? Um, well, the hammer to me is like, if you want to throw the yeah, hammer. I'm like, it just, it pulls you away because it's not a great song, right? I mean, in the same way that, you know, a lot of Golden Age stuff, you have songs that were kind of written to be platforms for a good performer. That's kind of what Hammer is. Uh, it's a it's an excuse for Bertie Carvel to just be 
weird. Be wild and yeah. weird. And-, and, I, and I, I, I do like, again, my, and this probably, and this all just comes down to personal taste. Like hammer makes me laugh, but also like, again, when you, when I watch the stage version, it doesn't do it for me as much as when I hear it. And maybe that's because in my head, I have a very particular viewpoint for it. And I'm, just, I'm actually very interested to see, and we'll talk about this in a second. Um, the movie version that they're making, I'm very interested to see how they go about it. Cause I think it's going to be a little less over the top and wild. I think it is going to be a little drier. I think they'll visually be able to incorporate some things that you're talking about into songs. Like I think Miracle might kind of be both an establishment of all these children who are, you know, brats and their parents think they're miracles while also kind of cross-cutting with the first five years of Matilda's life, which the movie does cover. There's Uh, just so many things happening. Her telling the story, which is Miss Honey's story, obviously, mm -hmm. that she somehow knows or has created. Mm -hmm. And then that story happening while, you know, it's just, there is, it's it's wildly dense for a young person show. Mm -hmm. And I have not spent much time with the junior version and I don't know what made it out and what stayed mm-hmm. in i imagine school song is cut i imagine hammer is cut but mm-hmm. i don't i'll go look um i but the the there's just too many things at play where it's like who is this show for because it's not really for it's kids. for me it's the sure, show's for me it's not it's really for me. kids it's also not for like two adults on a date night so like i like to look at shows of like well what is the intended audience for this mm-hmm. and i think it's unclear <laughs> That's fair. I mean, so my thing with Miracle that I like, especially, and to be fair, like, if you don't know the book well, you don't necessarily know where this song got inspired from. And it gets inspired from the first 10 pages of the book, which is just like one of the first things Roald Dahl says is, you know, as a teacher, I come across so many parents that are convinced that their child is the one who holds up the sun. It goes 99% of the time, this child is a dud. And he's a, and and ironically, the more of a dud this kid is, the more the parent is convinced that they're the next Einstein or Madame Curie. And he goes, and so it's ironic that you that there is a child, Matilda, who is truly remarkable and unfortunately is birthed by two parents who are too dense to recognize it and in fact their uh morals their values are so polar opposite of matilda's abilities that they you know x y and z i hear what you're saying on a traditional level i think that it makes sense to sort of open with matilda and get more of her background so we can go with her for for me in my life and my journey and my story on this road and what we call matt coplick I do really enjoy that for the first, you know, six minutes, seven minutes, it is, you know, the origin of how she was born and the the home of which she was born into, the parents that she was given, as well as seeing all these kids going on about how amazing their parents think they are. And then Matilda gets the last word in the number, which is her singing, my parents say I'm a naughty little worm. My mother says I'm a good case for population control. And it's sort of um, one of those things for me that, it doesn't often work and it doesn't work for everyone for everything. But sometimes when you set something up in a weird long game and then come back to it, it works really well. I talked about this with noises off, like noises off. You go through act one where they set up how the play within the play is supposed to work. So when act two and three happen, you know, what's supposed to happen. So it's, it's very humorous, but you have to, in order to get there, you have to have the first hour, uh, which is not for everyone. 
On the other end of the spectrum, having just done this episode recently, you have something like Blood Brothers, which takes the longest time <laughs> to get to the damn kids. And then they're like, see all these things we set up? And I'm like, but it doesn't work, Willie. I love Blood Brothers. Okay, Mark. <laughs> so everyone on this podcast has officially disregarded everything you just said, because this is the gentleman who thinks the Marilyn Monroe metaphor works brilliantly. Oh, I don't think others. it works brilliantly at all. I That's just, what you just said, and you can't take very, that away from me. I you just said have it a exactly. very soft spot for that musical. Um, yeah, it was, I, I just, I love I don't hate video. Blood Brothers. I think- Have you seen it, Anne Yes, Lennon? I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it. I don't I, hate it. It like, I don't know why it shook me to the core. Something about a mother and a son, which I think is just what it is. Yeah. Well, we all have, you know, our- I don't want to say, we, we all have our weaknesses that will hit us no matter what the situation is, right? So like for me, and it's not even necessarily in shows, it's more in movies, but whenever a parent recognizes that their weird kid is weird and like embraces it, it doesn't matter if I think the movie's good or bad, full on sobs. You just love it, yeah. Yeah, I cry every time in like a movie when Will Ferrell hugs his child. Just, like I, it doesn't matter, I just will. Uh, for something like Matilda, I don't ever cry i think i've only cried like three times in the theater blood brothers doesn't make me cry i will say blood brothers i'm always surprised at how funny it is mostly intentionally if you want to throw the hammer for your country you have to stay inside the circle all the time and if you want to make the team you don't need happiness or self-esteem you just need to keep your feet inside the line sing children two three four i do think there's something about a show where a kid is the lead having them start the show mm -hmm. does something when you look at the history of the musical theater where children are the stars of show the first voice you hear in annie really is annie yeah. the first like you, that curtain comes up on Oliver and he's sitting right there. Um, and then, you know, Mary Lennox is the first, you know, like she's like, we just, we go through these stories through the eye of the kid. And mm -hmm. I think it becomes important to see them immediately, whatever that means. If that means it's more of a staging thing than a musical thing. Um, I think I, you could do some staging with Matilda and without adding dialogue, it maybe wouldn't make it a hundred percent successful for you, but I think I'd love to take a pass at directing yeah. it. I mean, I absolutely, um, I'm not. Yeah. Like, no, I think, I, I think some good it. staging and I don't know you very well, but you seem to be very good at what you do <laughs> despite <laughs> your love of Brad brothers and the fact that you think Matilda should go jump in the river. I don't think that I, I don't know, do that. I know Mark. I'm sorry. I know. I God. just want to be very clear that <laughs> I, I don't think I, I I also think it was like a masterclass in directing and stagecraft and design like that I feel like it hit on all those levels may I just okay, say I that? keep forgetting Mark is a professional in this industry and I can't drag his name through the mud and make him associated with Listen, terrible things I'll talk about uh Amazing Grace all day long the worst thing I've ever seen on Broadway um he left Guys, did anyone see Amazing Race on Broadway? I it's, did. It was so bad. I've never seen anything that bad. That's the worst it, thing I've ever seen. It, it's definitely up there for me. I don't have one positive thing to say. <laughs> well sung. It was well sung. Was it? <laughs> yeah, they had good voices. I just remember at the time, we're going so off topic this episode, but you know what? I really love it. Uh, at the time, so many people were saying, and this actually, no, this does tie in in a lot of ways because I will say a lot of modern musical theater fans mistake a good show for a good message 
Does that make sense? They're like, well, you know, what it's trying to say is so important. And it's like, but do they do it well? So when Amazing Grace came out, a lot of its quote unquote supporters were like, well, you can't deny that the message is is important. I'm like, the message is that slavery is bad. Of course that's important, but like the show is fucking garbage. And I'll say that because it had so many people in it who I think are so talented, who I've seen be amazing in other things. And it was sad to see them in a show that I thought was wasting them. Uh, But that that's sort of the life of an artiste. You're not always going to have the benefit of being in something you like or believe in every time or something that's going to bring you to the best of your abilities every time. You can be something that's also that's amazing where you're kind of underused because the overall purpose of the story is not, you know, reliant on you showing off the entire time uh which is fine it happens it happens i wouldn't necessarily say company utilized donna mccacking to the best of her abilities but it doesn't matter because company is company that was also a very long time ago was it or was it yesterday Don McKechnie company was a long time ago. <laughs> I remember like it was yesterday. Of course you do. <laughs> I talk about it like I you was. You talk about the TikTok dance every day. Stop popping Okay, the back head, to Kathy. Matilda. Why well, back to Matilda? I'm enjoying all of her other talks. You're so much more passionate about everything else. <laughs> I told you that when you asked me to. I, I know, but that's you emailing like- me to like, can you get me a kid who's in Matilda to do this episode? And I was like, oh, let me help this kid out. I was like, oh, you want me to do it? I don't know. I was never going to ask you to bring a kid in to talk about Matilda. I specifically asked for you. I knew what I was doing. There's a method to my madness. And Mark Tuminelli, I've been enjoying this episode thoroughly. I like the conversations we're having. It's not getting super nerdy in depth, and that's fine. We're talking about a lot of grander things, and I enjoy that thoroughly. Great. Staging-wise, because you brought this up, and I do want to talk about this. The staging of Matilda. You said it's a masterclass in in creativity and and whatnot. Yes. Is there, is there something that you do remember like a detail that sticks out to you? Yeah, I remember so clearly those desks coming out from the floor and Mm -hmm. I thought that was so smart. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I just like sort of the overall movement. I'm very attracted to how transitions move in, in musicals. And I just thought all of that was so like effortlessly beautiful Mm -hmm. um the way the use of the escapologist and the way that always looked the um all the shadow puppets that were obviously projections but Mm -hmm. just the style of that i just thought overall the style the costumes the hair i mean just everything's firing at a hundred percent as far as the creativity is concerned The, the look of everything it was like um you know, it had like a wicked feel, but not quite. And I just, it also was up to so much interpretation. I could look at this version and see it without it. I could see it, uh, you know, I could see a regional theater just having a big chalkboard and that's it. And there's just projections on it. Like I could see the show working with so many things. And I, I think a lot of times in musicals, especially in original cast musical, you kind of only see it that way for a long time. And I think mm-hmm because the design was so smart, I could see it in other ways, which doesn't normally happen. Mm. Um, So I just was like very impressed with the overall design from every single department of that show. It was a very creative design. Uh, So this actually kind of goes into something else that I wanted to bring up with Matilda, because while the design and the staging, I thought were so creative and so... Uh, inventive and and brilliant on its own level, part of me wondered, so like one of the major themes of Matilda, right, is how um, part of like 
human integrity is to sort of always be challenging yourself and to always try to do better and to improve yourself and and to and to read and to gain more knowledge and not try to be garish and show off and and just shouting into a void and and sort of accepting you know I don't say not accepting dumbness, but accepting vegetation a lot and sort of allowing yourself to uh, be placated uh, to be placated to placated to. It's, I don't know words anymore for a show that's all about words. That's literally about and a set design that was literally about words and I mean, deconstructions those, of words. Those tiles came all the way up to the balcony. Like they looked, oh yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah, so like sometimes I don't sit in the balcony, but I imagine that's where they went. Mark is house seats only, Henny. A little bit. Mark is like, so I'm only seeing Hamilton if I am in row H of the orchestra. Well, I was there on Tuesday night. I was in row O on the aisle, but it was fine. Well, I sometimes we make do and we, you know, take one for the team. We we took one for the team. Yes. Sometimes Mark will sit behind row K if he absolutely has to, (laughs) if he's being really supportive. Otherwise, why would he go? But so... Sometimes the more simple things for me are like the most effective. So, you know, with Phantom, one of my favorite stage pictures in that show is the Angel of Music number because there's nothing really exceptional stagecraft happening. It's just the ballet class happening in the background with the with the drape in front of it. And it's just this beautiful image. And it's it's so simple. Matilda, the when the show begins and the uh, tiles rise on the swings into the rafters while the weird music plays, it's so it's just a tiny moment where I'm like, they're not doing anything that's brand spanking new, but just sort of how it all kind of congeals was a really wonderful effect for me. Which brings me to my point and my question, because this is a long way, long winding road, long country road. Is sometimes I wonder if being too inventive, if being too clever, if having too many tricks up your sleeve can be detrimental to a show. If showing that you can do a bunch of stuff in the moment can both be impressive in the moment, but then detrimental afterwards because the the point of the scene might've gotten lost in the uh, creativity of everything happening around it. Do you, well, I mean, that, that is, sense? yeah, I think that that's what the eye, you know, that's ideally the director's eye to say that's too much. I mean, yeah. to go back to Hamilton, that there was a reflective pool in the center of the stage at the public that they use for one performance and everyone's like, it's just too much that Mm -hmm. like, we don't need this other thing to happen at the end of the show. So I I do think a lot of times we spend money on things or a a great wig or a a huge costume change. And then you look at it as a director and you go, well, this is, this is taking us away from the story and it's Mm got to go. doesn't matter how much money we spent on it. Uh, because I'm not a scholar of Matilda, I can't tell you like, oh, there's a couple of moments where this was too much for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that in general, I was thinking that it added to the material um, mm-hmm. for the most part. I don't know if there's a moment that sticks out at you or it's like, this was too much. Is there something that you feel like they didn't need to swing into the audience? <laughs> I need no, I didn't. I did like the way they swung into the audience. I mean, it's more sort of just... Again, it comes from the fact that my introduction to the show was the album, so I heard it on a more intimate level. I was never the biggest fan of the staging of Miracle. I thought it was a little over-choreographed, which is something that I actually have an issue with with a lot of Broadway shows. While I do very much enjoy Hamilton, I also think it's still a little over-choreographed. There are numbers where I would like it 
the number I always bring up to everyone is I would prefer It's Quiet Uptown to just be Alexander and Eliza. I think it'd be really powerful to have just be them. And they are at the center of the stage, but I don't need the ensemble becoming trees on the turntable for me. That does not have the impact that it has for other people, but Mm -hmm. that's a personal taste situation. So it's the same thing with Miracle, where it's like, I almost would prefer it to be a kind of mural uh, a, like a still portrait where the kids kind of come to life on their souls rather than popping up from the table and bending Smart. over and doing the jerky you a director, stuff. director, Matt? Um, some have said I'm a director. I go into Broadway shows and I tell people how I would direct it. No, I, the last thing I ever directed was Carousel at college, but it was such a shitty experience. Sorry. It was such a terrible experience because Emerson is not very good about supporting student productions that even though the show turned out really well it was like food poisoning and I said I wouldn't do it but I've been interested in doing it again I've been directing my friends with their self-tapes lately and a friend just got a call back for a little shop of horrors due to my direction so maybe I should get back in the game Mark if you're ever hiring freelance directors for the workshop I will AD until I prove myself oh I I might very well be actually we'll have a meet we're gonna have a meeting off off But in case you're feeling too bad about yourself, from the episode I listened with Erica Henningsen, and I think it was also Andrew Andrew Feldman, he loves all the Bravo shows, so don't feel too bad about yourself because he likes those shows. So it's not as if he's standing on high. He's not on Mount Olympus. Oh, no, I am, I'm a garbage person. Not only do I love all the Bravo shows, I also listen to, like, hours of podcasts about the Bravo shows I watch. So... I'm like double garbage. Like I'm living, I'm sleep at the dump. And then I wake up and I go right back to bed at the dump. (laughs) And then like in between, I watch a true crime story. Like I, if you're not murdered or a housewife, I, it's shocking. I have any time to see Broadway. (laughs) Matt, don't die on me. I'm not. If you're not murdered or a housewife, that might be, I want to put that on a t-shirt. You should. Which, if if anyone if anyone cared, we could start making merch from this episode. Absolutely, we could start making merch from this episode. Murdered or a housewife. I am garbage. I sleep at the dump. <laughs> I am funny. We're. I find you very funny. I've enjoyed today. I don't. I, at this point, I don't care what the episode comes out as. I've enjoyed speaking I mean, with it, you. It's excellent. This episode is excellent. Is what is what you might be searching for. Well, the good news is that it's going to be shorter than Avita, so hopefully you can make it through more than half an hour of this episode. Ooh, burn, burn. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I get. I, my dad texts me all the time. He goes, "Your episodes are too long," and I'm like, "Your well, episode." I think your episodes don't exist, Dad. Well, he actually um, he has he has one episode. He I had him come oh, on. Oh, I talk saw about him. Something. He was on your podcast. You were talking about something that I was Follies. like, I, what show? Follies. Oh yeah, I was like, I would do the Follies episode. I was just looking at all the episodes that I I'm equipped to talk about. Sure, sure. Well, how about this, Mark? Because you've been such a good sport today. I will. I am finalizing what the next series is going to be on. Okay. And then I'm and I'm figuring out the list for it as well. And, and you will get in advance. And I'll 100%. say, hundred percent. I'll do Gypsy. Sometimes already been done, girl. All right. Well, don't worry. You're gonna get a Gypsy great one. Gypsy to me doesn't feel like a Sondheim show, but I know. It sure, is. sure. But it was. I was. It was about his career from start to finish. You know. I know. And well, listen. If the uh, if Square One happens, 
that'll be you. That'll be great. All right, let's get back to Matilda. We have to we have yes. to get sorry, I'm sorry. Guys, he has a heart out. He's done with me already. So Matilda Get me till six twenty. Matilda. You said you like When I Grow Up, which I also appreciate. We, I, I love Naughty. I think Naughty is a wonderful song. Um, I love the agency behind it. I love uh, the idea of seizing your circumstances and creating new circumstances from them. And But also it's not overly precious. I don't. I never find the show to be precious. And I think maybe that's why I like it so much. It is dense. I hear you on that. Like, I don't love school song. I find it very clever. I don't like listening to it all that much. Like, it's a very interesting concept. And in that sense, like the whole idea of the alphabet being the lyrics are done really well. Do I enjoy listening to it? Not so much. I also don't technically enjoy listening to loud, but I get the existence of loud. It is two minutes too long. I hear you. I hear you. I see you're not entirely wrong. But I do think that there are some songs that just are so perfectly realized, like My House, like Naughty, like When I Grow Up, that I'm also like, and also I... I love Quiet. I think Quiet is fantastic. And I will stand any score that has a song like Quiet and My House in it. Because I don't, we talked about this before, I don't love scores where it's like, I'm hurting and you're hurting and you said this (laughs) on Tuesday the 12th and we're standing in my living room and it's 72 degrees outside. Or the thing, can we talk about Quiet for one second though? Of course we can. I think it really sits beautifully in the musical, Mm -hmm. but it never opens up it always feel it the entire song feels to me like the beginning and it never gets to a part i mean it does for like a hot second but it never like soars musically to me mm-hmm. and when kids use it obviously i coach a lot of kids i see mm-hmm. a lot of kids audition it does not work as an audition song nope it does so not if you're listening to this and you're a child first of all stop immediately and <laughs> second i weirdly actually have some kids who listen to this like i've um, had a 13 year old be like i love your podcast i'm like are you, are, do your parents know you listen to this? No, it's fine. You're, this is, you're fine. I'm teaching the children. It's fine. I'm teaching them. Anyway, it just, it doesn't work as an audition song because it does not uh, elevate the performer. Mm-hmm. It is so internal to what is going on in Matilda. It makes, it's, it's like an essay on writing a song for this character. And I think it's, it works in that context, but does not work out of it. And it's not a song I want to listen to but that is the difference between a lacusa wild party and a lipa wild party one is for auditions one is a works as a show these answers that come into my mind unbidden these stories delivered to me fully written and when everyone shouts they they seem to like shouting the noise in my head is incredibly loud and i just wish they'd stop my dad and my mum and the telly and stories would stop for just once and i'm sorry i'm not quite explaining it right but this noise becomes anger and the anger is light and it's burning inside me would you jolly fate but it isn't today and the heat and the shouting and my heart is pounding and my eyes are burning and suddenly everything everything is quiet quiet i like because it doesn't have that giant build it is literally a song about finding tranquility and peace it's it's literally like a meditation song it's about um cognitive uh disassociation sort of mentally separating yourself from your surroundings so you can sort of just be and matilda lives in a world 
where there's a lot going on. We have songs like Telly and Loud and, you know, the school song where do all these like dense moments. And Matilda, in order to properly think and center herself, Matilda has to sort of shut it all out. And that's also the song that gets her to the level where she can have that telekinesis because, and again, I don't want to be like, you should read the book. Like the show should make sense on its own. You shouldn't have to read the book for things to make sense. I absolutely understand that. What I'm saying is that having reread the book for this podcast, because I am a seasoned podcaster, so I do more research than my guests so that I can talk a lot. He, when he talk, when Matilda talks about how she feels when she's in that state, she's like, I don't feel upset. I don't feel hurt. I'm not tired. I'm not like in pain. She's like, it's a beautiful moment. She's like, I feel like I've reached the stars. She's like, everything just feels lovely. And quiet is sort of touching on that, but there's a sadness about it that even though I don't think it's a sad song, it does bring a tear to my eye if the kid does a good job. And I sent you a link to a girl from England who does a really good job. I don't know if you watched it. She does it for like an event. I didn't see it, but I do distinctly remember seeing that show in an early preview and I was sitting in the front mezz, mm -hmm. opposite of where I normally like to sit. Yeah. And, well, that's um, a good show to see in the mezz. It actually was gorgeous. And that song started and I remember leaning forward and my jaw was open. Like I do yeah. physically remember seeing uh, Sophia. Janusa. The first Matilda I saw, and uh, I was like, "This girl is remarkable. What is happening mm -hmm. here is remarkable." Because as someone who works with kids, mm -hmm. uh, for someone to be that simple and just rely on lyrics and not feel like they need to push and not feel like they need to perform, and uh, with Brooklyn, who was just on my podcast, we talked about you know a girl can play Annie and be loud and cute, and the audience goes crazy for her. But Matilda has to be so in it and there has to be so much going on, not only in her head, but in her spirit. And if not every kid is up to that acting challenge. So it was it really watching that number. I'd never seen a kid do anything that introspective, yeah. you know, like and it, I, I think that changes the game a little bit of what is possible for young performers um, in a similar way to Billy Elliot. I mean, in such a British way. I yeah. mean, it just. It, it makes so much sense. In well, we are talking about British theater. I I would art. So you said quiet, not a good audition song. Totally agree. I actually think it's a great um, teaching song. Like, I think that's a great song to have kids work on just like as a performer, because yeah. as you said, it requires complete stillness and just total simplicity and being dropped in, which is something I did not learn how to do as an actor until I got to college. And even then still working on it. Well, because uh, their music, they don't, Certainly for your type or my type or a lot of kids, it's about being big. It's about being funny. It's yeah. about uh, taking space. And it's not about being simple. We're not having Bridges of Madison County moments. Yeah. Um, I don't which... get to ever be Stephen Pasquale. And you know what? It's fine. I'll be Kelly O'Hara on the Wednesday matinee, if you'll let me. She doesn't call out. Go ahead. <laughs> Dare you. She did that one time. One. I think she was out one night. Yeah. Bridges. Kelly O'Hara famously calls out like once a year. but And it's like to do a concert. Someone yeah, else where they're paying her like two hundred thousand dollars. One hundred percent. Quiet is one of those Sondheim-esque songs where it's like it works so well in the show because the show has so much going on, and it's this moment that you desperately need, and that's why it sort of makes an impact in the show. But it doesn't. None of that stuff that's building up to it. That that song as a puzzle piece in this giant puzzle of Matilda, where it fits so well. When you take away the rest of the puzzle, that piece doesn't seem so special. Mm -hmm. but it fits in the puzzle. And again, for your Matilda, so you're, we were saying earlier, like Matilda can sometimes feel like she's not the star of her own story in that show. 
But I think in a weird way, if your Matilda is off, even if everything else is fitting, if your Matilda is off, something about the evening doesn't work. But wouldn't you say that about every single star of every musical? Um, I think you, you could have a, have terrible a really- Tracy Turnblad, the night is over. No, but I'm saying like, if you have a mediocre Tony, West Side Story can still be a really great night of theater. And in fact, a lot of West Side Stories have had mediocre Tonys. I guess I think of that less of, uh, well, cause this show's not called Tony. So sure. um, to me, like, you know, if you have a bad Annie, you have a bad show. If you have a bad Matilda, you have a bad show. Well, um, I think you if you have, I'm not even saying a bad Matilda. I'm saying like just sort of a okay Matilda. I think like it's the same thing with Oliver. So you brought up Oliver actually earlier in terms of like the show opening and there he is. I, the stage show, it's not really that. I mean, they updated it. They add the whole, you know, birth, his mom coming the, at the, the factory the pregnancy, gates. Yeah, the, but yeah. it's still sanctuary, like, sanctuary. I remember someone recently was like, I saw production of, 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 where am I? I saw production of Oliver and it was so groundbreaking. The mother of Oliver walked across the stage and then she gave birth. I'm like, that's like in the script from 1966. So just chill. 94, 94. No, it's, I, it's in the original, original script. Are you sure? I, I can pull it out from behind. Pull her out well. because I was reading the libretto you, for right, that episode. You just keep talking. Stay I'm on. keep talking. I was reading the libretto for the oh. Broadway production for this, epi- for this podcast. And it opened with, uh, with food glorious food with the workhouse and then they were saying in my research for it that the whole reason the sam mendes revival was so like revolutionary was because it opened with oliver's mother show me the front show me the front of it this is my script from when i played the artful dodger in 1990 something this is book 1977 okay um book and music lyrics 1960 it's still the tam script um mark is so happy right now i've never seen him smile this big in the hour and a half that i've known him no i know but wait 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 maybe you're oh my god am i did i just prove myself very wrong in this this and all oh can you please edit this out no no one bit this is staying in oh, wait, i'm so no. happy i'm so happy you, i think you're right it is so i'm telling wild. you it wait. happened in 94. Um, I think you might be right. And this is really shocking to me. Yeah, but that's the thing. But so to, in your defense, Mark, when your friend said yes. it's so groundbreaking, 94 is also a while away. You know, that's uh, 37 years ago. Not 37, it's 27 years ago. What am I saying? I don't know math. 27 years ago. Obviously. So it's been that way for almost three decades. I don't believe this. It, the, so the, and the, okay, this actually goes on my point with Matilda. As we, as I've been making these points throughout the series i've said before a lot of these british musicals tend to go more for emotions and for the overall effect of theatrical storytelling than for the intricacies of plot and logic and character development and some of those shows work very well les mis i would not say has the most character development because it's so its main focus is telling a 30 year long story in the course of three and a half hours. So it's just one big sweeping epic. Avita is, you know, snapshots of a woman's life told through a misogynistic lens, but hey, she belts really high and she's, you know, a see you next Tuesday to everybody. And she looks beautiful. So we're like, yes, girl work. It's Dynasty meets Annie. Um, I heard you say that. That was very funny. Thank you very much. I don't think I said Annie. I think I said something else. But yeah, Dynasty Dynasty meets something. something. And I was like, that's exactly right. 100%. She's Joan Collins, and it's why we love her. Uh, 
Matilda, I would argue, is actually much more interested in the intricacies of all of this and the details and sort of the uh, depth of intelligence. And because of that, it can also sort of be a little distancing to people because it's not trying to sweep you up in the emotions of everything. It's more about what isn't being said than what's being said. And on top of all of this, Matilda does use a lot of history of British theater. As I said, pantomime, uh, music hall, things like that, which we see in shows like Oliver and Les Mis with the Tenardiers and Les Mis, with Bumble and Widow Corny. We see these villains that are almost grotesque and larger than life that are truly cruel to these children, but are played for laughs because they're so monstrous and seem sort of like from another world. And then we have these children that aren't even really the stars of their own stories. Oliver is not really the star of Oliver. It's, I would say it's Fagin, then Nancy, and then Dodger. Those are like the most important, most interesting characters. And those are always the roles that get nominated for stuff, right? Like Fagin and Dodger get nominated in any production or, you know, in the movie version, Nancy gets nominated in most stage versions. Oliver doesn't sing. Where is Love is the fifth song in Oliver. It's Food, Glorious Food. Then it's Oliver, I Shall Scream. I'm sorry, sixth song, Boy for Sale, That's Your Funeral, Then Where is Love. And until then- the show's also 12 hours long. It's, I mean- yeah, it's long, but it's it, they they make it a point to not have Oliver be the star. He is just sort of the linchpin that all these other characters are connected to. Um, and the way that so like Marcia Norman talked about this when she wrote the book for Color Purple, she said to figure out what got cut. I wanted it to always be from Celie's perspective and all characters are introduced in the show from when Celie meets them onwards. I'm like, that's very smart for a novel that takes place over like 40 years, blah, blah, blah. Very smart. They kind of do the same thing with Oliver, except they don't have Oliver say or do nearly as much as Celie does. So it's like, what if he had the same logic, but then Oliver's just mostly mute. So the characters come in and like they get to do their things and it's sort of like a slideshow of acts. And Matilda is kind of similar, but she's a little more active, I would say. Uh, that's that's the only connection I wanted to make. I don't have a point about Matilda in regards to this. Just in regards to I'm just to still really shows. blown away by this thought that I was sure was in the script. That must be in... I played Dodger a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely in a script of a version of Oliver I did. Yeah. And it must have been after that 90... What was that? 92? 94, I think. 94 in London. Or 93. 93, 94, something like that. Um, yeah. It was Jonathan so, Price. It's just not in this first one that I yeah. have here. That's I'm fine. Fired. We um, love being right. I, will... I hate being wrong. <laughs> Girl, me too. I have okay, one what's la- next? One la- I have one last thing to say, which is just one of my favorite moments in the entire show. It warms my heart every time. Is when Miss Honey, she's trying to, she realizes how talented and gifted Matilda is and no one will listen to her. And she pulls Matilda aside and she says, I'm going to bring you books and you know, you'll read and you'll learn and you'll sort of sit quietly in the corner since no one else will let uh, me do anything with you. And if you have any questions, I'll answer them as best as, as I can. How does that sound? And there's a pause and the Matilda just hugs her. And in a show that is very verbal, that is very intelligent and very, you know, dense, it's moments like that where I'm like, that's perfect. That is a, and that's a unique moment. That's not in the movie. That's not in the book. That's just a unique moment from the show that is, in my opinion, like the chef's kiss where the fact that they don't 
underline it so heavily. Mm-hmm. It's just a very human, intimate moment, as opposed to Blood Brothers, where every time anything happens, it's like, did you catch that? Yeah, everybody no, catch that. You're hundred percent correct. And even the simplicity of the end of the show, where she says, "Let her stay with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take care of her," and the dad's like, "No." that's you're not keeping my daughter yeah and he says daughter and then matilda has that moment and then that makes me like well up a little bit because it's mm-hmm. this um we have that nice little bit of closure before he's gonna leave yeah. his kid absolutely um, but uh yeah it's just it's actually another one other thing i wanted to bring to the surface about the problem with the material which is not the musical it's the source material it's really hard to watch people be mean to a kid yeah and i the way Miss Hannigan is mean to Annie is humorous to me, but um, because it's not her parents, right? Yeah. But then, um, and it's also very cartoony in that way, but to watch, you know, sort of the mother and the father and the brother, the entire house hate her. Yeah. This little, this little tiny nothing kid that looks like a strong wind will knock her over. It's really hard to watch as an audience member. And I don't love feeling that way. Um, and partly because I've spent my whole life like celebrating young people and and giving them a spotlight to stand in. And in so many ways, it's hard to watch that in a little bit. And it makes me feel bad. I don't like for kids to ever feel that way. I, I hear you. I will also say, and this connects back to, um, just because the Noises Off episode came out literally yesterday and we talked about this with Dorothy Loudon. What made Dorothy Loudon's Hannigan so- I was like, Dorothy special. Loudon was on the podcast. Oh yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm that good. I'm that good. I'm that seasoned. I'm it's that like good. like a skeleton um, dug up. <laughs> I, I, I got you're covered Goldberg. in dirt. And, okay, forget it. We're getting uh, morbid. We're no, getting uh, no, so sh- because she was in Noises Off and we brought up yes. um, her Hannigan and Adam was very close with Gary Beach before he passed. So, he, and he got to work with Dorothy for a bit in the show. And he's, and part of the thing that made her Hannigan so great was her hatred of the kids and her meanness to them wasn't out of spite or just like, I get off on it, but like a genuine fear that if she doesn't dominate these kids, they will get her in her sleep, which is hysterical because she's three times the size of these children. So the fact that she'll tell Molly who goes up to her knee, your days are numbered with the conviction of like, don't you dare come at me with a knife. Whereas the audience is like, that's never going to happen, but she's just so convinced of it. Mm-hmm. It's similar to Trunchbull, with, or at least with the way that Bertie Carville played the role in the sense of Trunchbull's dominance of the kids is not, but yes, you know, she hates children and she has a lot of funny lines. She's like, thank goodness I never was one, but also a genuine belief that these children will revolt against her, which they do, but that's because of the way she treats them, not because they're children. Like children aren't sitting around going, how are we going to stage a coup against the adults? Like they're too busy being children, Mm -hmm. but she's convinced that they're plotting all the time. And that, that paranoia does not justify her evil, but at least it's not, it's not just pure cruelty. It's not that she gets off on it. Whereas Matilda's parents, it's like, there's no rhyme or reason. They just do it. I, I also think with Trunchbull, it's uh, because it's so ridiculously looking, mm-hmm. this woman who's six foot with a hump on her back and the mm-hmm. longest legs, it's it's comical because physically it's funny. Like yeah. we're, we're watching like an upside down person. It just feels wrong. And yeah. so it doesn't feel like, well, this isn't a real thing or this is a, this is also a man in drag, but not really. And, um, and Bertie Carvel's performance is truly remarkable. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen him do other things, but he's on a TV show called Dr. Foster mm-hmm. on Netflix, which is like a great, great, 
crazy male performance. Um, and of course, I've I've heard him on the Parade album, yeah. and he's wildly talented to be able to do so many different things. Of course, Broadway didn't really <laughs> embrace him, so I don't know if he'll be back anytime. Yeah, well, so what a perfect way to get into uh, the final part of this section. Uh, he does have, sorry, he has two lines that I just want to say that I really love, which is um, when it says, when we first meet Trunchbull and the name Matilda comes up and she's convinced that Matilda planted a stink bomb under her chair. And Miss Honey says that she's very gifted. Nonsense, haven't I just told you she is a gangsta? I just think that's funny. And then um, oh, that makes me so happy. It gives me a warm glow in my lower intestine. And that he's uh, he's just a child, he'll be sick. He should have thought of that before he made a pact with Satan and decided to steal my cake. I just think that's hysterical. Um, the show opens, it gets incredible reviews, like reviews that a lot of new musicals don't usually get. And audience responses are exceptionally divisive. Audiences basically are like, this is not the show I was promised. I was told this was brilliant. I told this was a family show. It's dark. It's weird. I don't know what's happening. I can hardly understand the words. And I knew that Matilda had a rough road ahead of it because I was working at Brooklyn Diner at the time and we would get a lot of pre-theater crowds or post-theater crowds. And I got a lot of grandparents who came with their kids and the kids tended to like Matilda, but the grandparents were like, ugh, I don't know what that was. I'm not telling anyone to see it. And I would ask the kids, did you like it? Yeah, I did. But like, parents don't listen to kids how they thought they listen to the other parents who said I don't know about this show mm -hmm. so I was like this show's got a rough road ahead of it they were nominated for 12 Tony Awards including best musical they won four including book but not musical they lost to Kinky Boots we both kind of disagree with that do you remember the other two that were nominated that year oh god no um wait You'll maybe. shoot your eye out okay so <laughs> Christmas Story wasn't gonna win anything nope and then um let's see if you can see what this one is okay Um, is that Lissa Strata Jones? <laughs> no, but, but, but right, right. Was right. it Bring It On? Yeah, Bring It On. Uh, bring It On should have won every award there was. Okay, that's, um, that's a, that's a take. I did, I, the only time I fell out of my seat when I saw Bring It On was Kate Rockwell going up the octave at the beginning and she goes, biatch. My friend Mike and I just fell out of our seats. Was Motown that year too? Yeah. No, Motown was it had to have been that year because that's what that's what went into the Lunt after Christmas story, wasn't it? And then that and Ariana so. DeBose that year was in the ensemble of Motown and in the ensemble of of Bring It Bring On, it on. The Tonys. Yeah. That then I guess that's it. But that's I don't it. think they were nominated for Best Musical. So that No, Motown be. definitely was not. They were nominated for some performing awards and maybe like orchestrations or something. Uh -huh. But yeah, they they performed on the Tonys because they had the money to perform yeah. on the Tonys. Uh, yeah, so that those were the nominees. Way to go. The Matildas were given a special Tony Award because there were four of them. And after the controversy of three Billies winning Best Actor, Billy Elliot, the Tonys were like, let's just avoid that and give them a special Tony. So clear the way for Patina to get her Tony. The show uh, had a very unsuccessful national tour. It ran for over 1,500 performances in America, which is a very good run. It made its money back. But considering that it's still running on the West End, not nearly the hit they thought it would be, but it's very similar to Avita. Like Avita ran for almost 4,000 performances in the UK, ran here for like the same number of performances as Matilda, similar aesthetic. Uh, as I mentioned, they are currently working on a movie version. Emma Thompson is playing Miss Trunchbull, which I'm very excited to see. Have you seen Cruella? I have not seen Cruella. There are two reasons to see Cruella and I'm a huge Emma Stone fan, but she's not one of the two. It's the costumes and it's Emma Thompson, who I will say, deserves an Oscar nomination. All right. 
She is brilliant. The I chances look of me to seeing it. Cruella are like very slim. I, do you have Disney Plus? Yeah. I recommend having a nice bottle of wine and, and yet here it. I am not watching Matilda. Listen, I have lovely movie nights. Listeners know if you follow me on Instagram, uh, sometimes when I'm home alone, every two weeks, I drink through a bottle of wine and do a drunk movie night on my Instagram story. And I don't pretend to be famous. I don't pretend to be liked. But the only time my Instagram story gets hundreds of views is when I do the drunk movie night. So all of you are enabling a soon-to-be alcoholic. All right, Mark, we're wrapping things up because you got to go. Rapid fire questions. Okay. Speed racer questions. Quick Here we go. Fire questions. Go ahead. Speed racer questions. Here we go. Okay. Far too many notes for my taste. If you had to cut one song from Matilda, and for you it's just one, what would it be? Uh, I'm cutting. Uh, I'm cutting the smell of rebellion. Okay. I'm cutting all of Blood Brothers just to screw with you. So, <laughs> no, I, I would love cut all of Blood Brothers. I just had a very good. Experience I know what you. I know what you mean. Quick fire. I, yeah. Yes. Uh, I dreamed a dream cast. Who would you like to see in this show? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'd love to see my girl Erica Henningsen play Miss Honey. I think she would be just uh, gorgeous in that part. Did you see Jill Pace do it when she replaced? I did see. I saw all of. I saw Jill. I saw. Um, who was the last one? She was so good. Um, Is it Allison? Allison Luft was yeah. great. I saw all three of them, and because I, 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 I didn't see the last replacements. I saw. My third time, my third, my final time was with Jill Pace as Miss Honey. And I was like, oh, you're gorgeous in this she role. She was great. She was great. Um, I always wanted uh, Aileen Quinn, who played Annie in the Annie movie, is a really good friend of mine. And I wanted her to come back to Broadway as Miss Honey, but it didn't happen. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, and as like, God, I don't, I wish I could tell you a kid right now that I'm like, oh, this kid would be a great Matilda. We'll discover but. one. We'll discover a kid. Discover or we could do a fun one and, uh, you know, do like adult kid casting. As well. I mean, what I like about the adult casting as the ensemble of children is that it adds this element, which is in the book and in a lot of British stuff, where it's like, technically speaking, the difference of ages of like Matilda's character and the older kids in the school is like five years, but that might as well be 30 years because of the life experience that they have and the way that those like older kids treat little kids. Like a nine year old will treat a five year old like they're their own child. Like, oh, you mm -hmm. sweet little boo boo child. It's yes. like, it's four year difference, kid. Um, so I like um, that you know, idea. The other thought I had was Miranda Hart as Trunchbull. I'd love to see that. Do you know? Who How do I know Miranda Hart? She was Miss Hannigan in the West End, but she um, is uh, Miranda is her. Is that her name? Um, she has a sitcom. She's a British uh, comedian. She's I'd love like to a, see. She's like 11 feet tall, like legitimately. I would love that. Uh, or Catherine Tate. I would love to see Catherine Tate's take on uh, Trunchbull. I don't know if you know Catherine Tate. I can't say I do. British comedian. If you ever watch The Office, she's one of she's the female boss that comes in. I know she is. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Rainbow High Spectacle. Does the show need production value to work? You answered this earlier, but absolutely not. Absolutely not. I would love to see this stripped down. Um, that'll be on my uh bucket list one day when I direct again. Scale of one to ten, one being no, 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 no way, and ten being now and forever. Where does this show rank personally for you? Uh six. Great musical, wonderful, beautiful gowns. Uh, for me, uh, I would say it's a, it's an 8.5. It was 9.5 before I started doing research. It went down a point, but still 8.5 is exceptional. Okay. Mark, this has been wonderful. We're wrapping things up now. Where can people find you if you want them to find you? Well, if they're still listening. God, Godspeed. You, you're probably already following me. Um, <laughs> at, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli. You can follow the podcast at Little Me Podcast. Mm -hmm. You can also uh, 
I mean, no one cares what I say on Twitter, but uh, um, at that to Manelli on Twitter. Um, and you can go to broadwayworkshop.com, mm-hmm. get on the mailing list there. You can follow Broadway Workshop at broadwayworkshop.com um, or at Broadway Workshop. I don't know, all the things I do. Or I will soon be working and then taking over within the span of six uh, months. I'm honestly looking for someone to take over. Okay, well, well let's figure it out. I don't know if you're ready kid. for it. I'll, I'm ready for anything, honestly. So... If you like the podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe. You can follow me on Instagram at Matt Coplick, usual spelling. Uh, if you want to see any of my drunk movie nights, that's a wonderful sight to behold, I've been told. Uh, join us next week as we get to the final episode, as we discuss the royal musical Six, which has just started performances again on the day that we are recording this, but will have officially opened by the time the episode comes out. I will also be announcing what the new series is going to be for the podcast. And I will do my personal rankings of the shows that we have covered on this series. Thank you so much. Uh, We usually close out with a big, nice uh, Broadway diva. We've closed out with Lauren Ward in the past, uh, but because you know her because she has wonderful taste and because we brought her up a few times we're going to close out with miss erica henningson as our broadway diva today how's that sound i love it yay uh thank you so much for listening guys and join us next week take us away erica bye Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.